Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting, where being rude is never acceptable, but sarcasm is welcome and swearing isn't always a bad option. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Jen Taylor Rerouting. This is like a super fun interview for me because I actually know the person that I'm talking to. Today I'm talking to Jonathan Fisher. Jonathan, tell me how you're doing today. I'm doing fantastic today. You're always doing fantastic. And Jonathan and I met at Sean Stevenson's conference in September of 2017. So like nine months ago. And um, we sat next to each other at lunch. We did. And I heard some of your story. And for nine months, I've been cyber stalking you to get you on. So thank you. Yay. And here I am. <laughs> your website <laughs> is called Mythic Heart. And we were just laughing about how when people read it, it looks like my thick heart, but that's not right. spelled right. No, yeah. Well, as, as I mentioned, it's like, that's what my dad, he thought, I guess he was thinking he was being helpful. He's like, uh, John, did you know that it actually says my thick heart? I'm like, it doesn't if you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you spell it incorrectly, sure. But <laughs> you're putting that out. That's so very helpful. But you should know it's my mythic heart, not my thick heart. Yeah. <laughs> Dad, <laughs> tell me about your thick heart or mythic heart. Right. Well, it's it's interesting because my heart literally probably is a bit thicker. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I was wondering yeah, that. That was going to be a question later, so we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, however, uh, I, I thought up the name for the company for the website, Mythic Heart, because one, at the time when I was like creating this, this company, this, uh, this uh, S-Corp, I'm like, well, obviously I have to think of a name. So I happen to be reading a Joseph Campbell book, which I'll probably reference later because I'm super into Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey stuff. And obviously he's, if you know anything about him, his whole thing is mythology. And so I'm, I thought, well, mythic, okay, maybe I'll put something in there. And because I was born with heart issues, I thought, huh, mythic heart, maybe I'll do that. And at the time, and, and still currently, I was connected to a company called Mindify, which produces hypnosis apps. So I do hypnosis, hypnotherapy, coaching, and I create these apps or created these apps that are out there. And I thought, well, mind, heart, uh, mythic, mindify, they both start with M. So there's this weird connection that do it. I have to think of a name, go with mythic heart. So well, I love it. And it correctly read it. It's mythic heart. <laughs> yeah, if you, yeah, if you know how to spell, it's not my Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> so you do NLP. You're an NLP master practitioner and trainer. And a lot of people, like I didn't know what that was. And I started to share with you, I went through my first hypnotherapy session like four, three or four days ago. I love that, yeah. Um, and I know for me, a fear with being hypnotized is that I'll be clucking like a chicken on stage and not remember, right. and people will be laughing at me, and the, the therapist will be like a puppet master, and I right. will have no control. Yeah. I, and we, it's hard to relinquish that, that right? And right. it was described to me that when you're driving and you kind of space out, you're kind of in your own thoughts, just... You know, you're not totally subconscious, maybe, and you're not t dreaming, obviously, because you're driving. Right. But like 50 miles goes by, and you're like, "Oh my God, where did 50 miles go?" And yeah. that trance-like state is closer to hypnotherapy. So you jump in and describe what you do and more about it. Okay. Well, I like you thought that at first, because my first exposure to hypnosis, other than television and movies and whatever, was I, I have found out, like a lot of people, at my a graduation party. So graduate from high school, we had this. Our whole class got together when this hypnotist came in and hypnotized the audience and did all the things you think of in a hypnosis show. But then I talked to my best friend who was on stage and asked him a lot of questions. And I thought, well, that's really interesting. But then I went to college and I ended up majoring in, in psychology. Now, one of my professors, he was also a clinical psychologist. And he, after teaching us about hypnosis and the unconscious and subconscious and whatever, he, had a, he hypnotized one of the clients in the class or one of the students in the class. So we had to, we had to learn about it and then actually see someone hypnotized uh, by the professor in a quasi-therapeutic setting. So I went with that notion of, oh, it's not just this weird thing that makes you do stuff. 
I then learned about it in college so that later, well, it was like 10 years later, 12 years later or so, when I actually went to a school, to uh, the nation's only uh, nationally accredited school for hypnotherapy, I didn't have that fear that, that those, uh, the misguided thoughts, I guess, of what hypnosis was or what it could do or whatever. And so I was more open to it. But having said that, in every single session, including the first track in any app that I have, the hypnosis app, I talk about fears and misconceptions because everybody has that experience of thinking they know what hypnosis is. And so like, like maybe they do, maybe we're, we're we, they're on the same page, but I, I need them to be on the same page so that when I talk about what hypnosis is, when I say hypnotize or trance or whatever, I use those interchangeably, that we agree with what that is. So that unlike possibly what you had, I want them to know after that they were hypnotized. So I'll say things uh -huh. like, uh, it, uh, you can't be controlled in hypnosis. I can't make you do something that's against your morals, personality, ethics. Uh, I do talk about stage hypnosis and what that is and that there is a performing aspect to it. Nobody on stage is doing anything that, that is against their morals. In the moment when they're doing it, even though they may have some forgetting after, they, they're not doing anything that's so against who they are. They're sort of giving themselves permission, almost, although it's not exactly technically drunk, clearly, but it's almost as though it's like they let go of the inhibitions. Like, you know what? I'm not doing it. It's the hypnotist. It's the hypnosis that gives me permission to be goofy and silly and to get the audience to laugh. So they're not ah. laughing at me. They're laughing at the act, at the situation, at what I've been, I'm being told, quote, forced to do. So Got there's it. a performance aspect. The hypnotist, at least for stage hypnosis, is doing things to pick out the most suggestible people in the audience. Everyone can be hypnotized, but some are just better candidates. We call them somnambulists, meaning they, a, a better explanation would be, or more accurate would be, they respond to all types of suggestions, literal and inferred. Wow. So they're just, in fact, I view somnambulists, I view people who are uh, the most easily hypnotizable or hypnotized, hypnotizable, I guess, uh, as being almost like having a superpower. Because although everybody can be hypnotized, if somebody's really suggestible, they just respond so much better, so much quicker. And it's frankly, as, as a hypnotist, it's more fun to work with them. But I go over the misconceptions, the fears that they can't get stuck, they can't be made to do anything, uh, that what it may feel like, what it may not feel like, that even though hypnosis means sleep, it's for the hypnos, the god of sleep, they're not asleep. In fact, if they're asleep, I will wake them up. <laughs> uh, that, that has happened, clearly. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's like, oh, raise your hand if you're hearing me. Uh, they, I talk about that some people feel lighter, some people feel heavier. You'll hear, not only will you hear everything I say, but you may hear more. You may hear like, oh, the air conditioning. Like, I didn't notice that before. In some ways, you're more aware. Some people do have a kind of forgetting. Uh, and somnambulists, meaning the people that are most su suggestible, tend to have more forgetting. Uh, now, in the moment, they're aware of what was going on. But then later, they're like, well, I don't exactly remember. A lot of that comes back. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone will have natural forgetting, but as natural as any conversation you ever have, you're not going to remember every single thing you said or they said. Natural right. forgetting. And that's something that I told you. There was a, a way she phrased something I couldn't remember, but in the, uh, because I, and did you, do you do, my hypnotherapist mm -hmm. sent me with like an 18 minute, it was like a two hour hypnosis session. The, the last 20 minutes was her recording herself so that I could listen to it on a daily basis. Is that something you do? I don't do, well, here's, here's what I've been doing because now I, I used to be like labeled a hypnotherapist and that's what I did. I mean, legally I had to do that every time. If that's what I am, I hypnotize every time. Now that I'm labeling myself a coach, although I, I guess I use hypnotic ideas or as, as we'll talk about maybe NLP ideas in every single session in one way or another, I don't formally do hypnosis every time anymore because I don't have to. Now I do because I do my sessions, although that might change in the near future, I do my sessions on, on Zoom, like what we're on right now. Right. And so I record all the sessions. 
Oh, okay. So if it's a hypnosis thing, if they want the session, some people don't even want the recordings, but I have them should they want them, they could have it. Now, having said that, depending on what we're working on, I have to be careful in how I structure that hypnosis session because it may not be something they should listen to more than once. Because if we're releasing something, then if then, let's say like quit smoking, a certain track shouldn't be listened to again because it's like you, you will quit smoking or you're not. It's like if they listen to it again, it presupposes they are smoking again. All right. You almost reinstall the problem to let go of the problem or reinstall the fear if that's what we're working on to let go of the fear. So I have to be mindful of is this a track that they might listen to again and am I reinforcing the things that they don't want? So wow. when I did the hypnosis apps, I had to construct literally every single track so that they could listen to it repeatedly and not reinstall the issue. Exactly. It that was, I get. Yeah. I totally get that. So what are the, who are the yep. people that you coach predominantly? Well, I, when someone says, well, what do you do? And if I just actually give them a, a title, I usually say health coach. Now we'll get into more of why I would say health coach in a bit when you talk about my story. Yeah. The interesting thing is I currently really, I'm trying to think of, they're mostly like business things or personal things, uh, habit stuff, you know, is it per se health? A little bit like, but it, everything gets into something else because they, they yeah. somebody may come to me, let's say for quitting smoking or for health. And then we inevitably get into their business, into their personal life, into their relationships, into all the different areas of life because everything's connected. Yes. It, clearly. So we get sidetracked deliberately. So to fix these other areas because that is going to affect their health ultimately, or their health affects their business or whatever. So I do label as, as health coach, but really underneath all of it, going back to the, the, the mythic thing and the Joseph Campbell stuff, what really excites me is what excites you? What is your bliss? What is your passion? What is your purpose? Because when I'm talking to anyone, when I used to label myself a hypnotherapist, I thought that they were coming to me for this specific issue, like quitting smoking or losing weight or a fear of heights or whatever it is. And that's what I thought I was working on. I guess I still have to kind of work on that because that's why they're paying me. And yet I kind of almost laugh in the, in the wonderful quality of humans in that it's all the same issue. Yep. Whatever the, the, the thing they think that the issue is, the, it's always the same. Mm -hmm. It's just, that's the symptom for you. The symptom for you is a health thing or a weight thing or a fear thing or a business thing or whatever it is. But I'm talking to their deeper self. I call it the, the, the core self or the higher self, that part of them that, that has the answer, that knows that's, what they should do. That's so interesting. Yeah. Okay. So it's more, uh, what I love about this type of therapy is that it does, traditional therapy looks back where coaching looks forward. Mm. So you have kind of the, you yeah. have, this has kind of a little bit of both. Like, well, yeah. where did this originate from? We're going backwards and how do we take it and move it forward in a better way? Right. And I think because, I mean, I do everything naturally. I had babies at home with a midwife, you know, like, so oh, that's great. I think everything is connected, right? And there's an app for that because I created it. <laughs> you did a hypnobirthing app actually. Oh my God. I used to, I was certified yeah. in two different, um, birth whatever now i can't even think of it but i used to be a, a coach for people like a doula oh yeah, and yeah i i was certified in teaching two different types of great, yeah i know i see we have to have more yeah. conversations so oh, we could talk all over like, yeah i mean I, I created the thing for people either if they had a doula the doula can yeah. use that as well it's like it, it can be used whether you're doing an at-home water birth Did or give me all the meds <laughs> at the hospital it doesn't, it doesn't matter it's like you can use it for anything. Oh my God. So you created yeah. Mindify, the app. I, I did not create it. I, um, interesting story. This is a whole other thing. And, and we talked about tangents where my whole yeah. thing is, uh, well, like my favorite hypnotherapist is Milton Erickson. And okay. his whole thing was teaching stories. So whether I'm on stage talking, giving a talk or doing hypnosis, I do a lot of story stuff. And it's all like teaching little things as I'm telling a story. 
but um oh sorry where, where were we on that one the app was the app yeah. oh yeah so okay so a friend of mine he was creating he had this website doing hypnosis tracks and i never looked at it because i thought i didn't want to be influenced by what he was doing because maybe i'd do it he signed up with this these guys who are like these guys are approaching me to do apps instead of just the uh the website but I, it's a conflict of interest. Maybe you want to work with them. I'll, you know, I don't want to just back out and not give them a referral. Think about it. I'm like, great. So I thought about it and eventually, I'm trying to speed up the story. Uh, I decided, okay, fine. I'll, I'll send them a sample and see if it's something they're looking for. Well, one thing led to another. They loved it. We talked. Boom, I'm on board. So I started creating hypnosis content for this company called Mindify. And it, it was fantastic. They had an idea and we had this wonderful collaboration of all these different tracks we wanted to do and how we wanted to help people. And that's what we ended up doing. So I created hypnosis content. They made it into an app and we put it out there on several different platforms. You know, I'm downloading it the second that I'm done with this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, we have, there's like two apps for, for sleeping, two for weight loss. The, the one I said, the hypno birthing, what else do we, we did so many, uh, quitting smoking, a couple of things, uh, law of attraction, Oh. which is, uh, and before I did any kind of app, my thing was I, I read a lot. Like if I, I already knew a lot about these different topics, but I read about like, what, what are people saying about it? Whether it's weight loss or sleep or whatever. So it's not, yes, I'm going to talk about, you know, get people relaxed as we talk, relax and release or whatever, get people uh, into that nice calm state and then here are some practical things you can do to set up your environment so that when I'm saying and you're in bed right now and just <laughs> relaxing your body you know you know whatever and so I'm saying you've we're already gonna go to bed together better. because I've never gone to bed with anyone I've podcasted <laughs> I'm not sure <laughs> you yeah. know when you're in a relationship that's an awkward conversation yeah. <laughs> it is it is strange because i've had people who know me were like it is kind of weird listening to your your voice when like, yeah well, be, yeah be glad it's just going to sleep yeah um. <laughs> that's not the app i want but okay <laughs> so i let's take it back because we could tangent and talk forever that's what yeah, yeah. i adore about you but i love i didn't realize that what you were doing is nlp it's always one of those things you probably mentioned it and I probably mm. didn't catch it or understand right. what it, I didn't put all those pieces together. And then when I read your email, I was like, Oh my God, I forgot. <laughs> or, or I didn't realize her. So tell me what year you were born and tell me your story about what all happened. Right. Well, I was born in 1970. Woo. Me too. Yeah. All right. Were you really? All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the year of the dog. Yes. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. So yeah, 1970. And speaking of dogs, we, uh, when I was born, I have an older sister, four years older than I am. And so she was four when I was born Clearly. and she had a dog. And apparently that our dog, her dog was having seizures and, and throwing up all night on the kitchen floor. Uh, and it had never done this before. It was like this weird, like, Oh my, like it knew what was coming. And I, uh, my mom was, you know, up for a while and cleaning things up and early in the morning, her water broke and she's like, Bob, my, my dad, I think it's time go, you know, get everything ready. And okay. She goes, I'm a, but I'm going to go to the bathroom. It feels like I have to go. She goes into the bathroom. My dad's out there getting stuff and she looks down and there's a purple bluish arm coming out of her. And she gets my dad. My dad's like, oh, oh, oh. freaking <laughs> out. My sister, she get, they get my sister who's going to go to the neighbors. And later my sister tells all of her friends, yeah, my brother waved goodbye to me on the way to the house. You know, bragging. That's, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. waving goodbye. So, so then they, she went to the house. You know, she, they put her in the back of this police car, this police, like, car, wagon, or whatever it is. My dad follows behind. And in the back of the police car, the wagon, she's looking up at the ceiling and she's, she's praying to God saying, please let this baby live because the arm is purple. It looks dire. She said, if, if you allow my child to live, I will quit smoking because she was still smoking during pregnancy. It was 1970, so people were still doing, she wasn't drinking alcohol, but she was smoking cigarettes. Though. Right. So she said, I'll quit, whatever. And then they did a cesarean section. And later they're like, would you like to see your little baby boy? And she's like, I don't have a baby boy. You died. You're just saying that to make me feel better. 
And they're like, bring the kid in. So they brought me in and, and sure enough, obviously I, I was, I was alive, but I had some health problems. I had uh, you know, some like infant asthma. I had a lot of like, like bronchitis stuff. And they said I had two uh, heart valves that were leaking and I had, it's called coarctation of the aorta where the aortic artery is narrowed. So then when I was 14 months old, I had heart surgery to repair the, the coarctation in the aorta right around Christmas. And when I was, just before I turned six, I had subacute bacterial endocarditis. Right, which everyone likes. Oh, yes, I've heard of yeah, that. Yeah, well, who hasn't yes, had that, right? Yes. Rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inflammation of the, of the heart. It's an infection of the heart. And usually you, you treat it with penicillin, but I was allergic to that. So, and this is some of my earliest memories where I really remember, I was in the hospital for seven weeks. I really remember a lot of that. And this wow. was 1976. So I was alone a lot of the time because visiting hours were fairly limited. So it was, I saw a lot of stuff as a six-year-old or almost a six-year-old. Um, the friends that I made, the time that I spent, that a lot of those kids are not alive anymore. Um, but they, because they usually treat it with, with penicillin, they had to come up with a new combination of drugs. And I was the first person they tried it on, and it worked, obviously. So, <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Phew. Yeah. I, I still, I still mix, have it. Let's mix it's this awful. cocktail. Well, you can blame <laughs> yeah. anything in your life on that. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, well, I was a so, guinea yeah. pig. So, so I had that, but I still had the valves. And uh, when, I was, when I was, when I graduated from high school, like a week after high school, I was diagnosed with having had a stroke. And do you remember the stroke? I mean, I know you don't really remember the stroke, probably, but do you remember any of that? I don't remember having the stroke. No, they uh, they they found the stroke and then they found an unrelated aneurysm. Oh my I god! Yeah, uh, I don't remember having the stroke, although I think it probably happened when I was six because at the time, oh. you know, I had a, I had a hundred and six temperature for about a week, and then my mom ended up actually diagnosing me because the doctors didn't know what it was. And she looks it up. She's like, I think, like, doctor, I think he has endocarditis, which in, in her medical book says usually fatal. She's like, no, that sounds great. <laughs> um, but I remember, and I remember going to the doctor that day where, and I've seen this a lot where the doctor comes in and has that serious look, like, I don't know how to say this. And then, yeah. then it's usually a he, uh, he leaves and then comes back and then doesn't say anything and leaves and comes back. It's happened a lot. And <laughs> I remember that day of, of, the, of the two adults literally looking up at my mom and the doctor and seeing that these adults who you, know, you put on a pedestal didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I, was, I felt awful. And I was complaining of pain in my fingers and my toes. And so I think that it was probably emboli okay. that throwing into my system from my heart, little clots in my heart. And I think that's probably when I had the stroke. Because as a six-year-old, how do you explain Yeah, that? exactly. Um, so you're in high school. Yep. How did they find the unrelated aneurysm? Uh, some vision issues that I had. So they were looking for that, and then they did a CAT scan. And interesting, they're like, we're going to do a CAT scan. Um, and if we find anything, we'll admit you to the hospital, like, right next door. Well, okay. So... My, my mom ended up driving me and I get the CAT scan and they, they admit me. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so. God, how, how terrifying yeah. was all this for yeah. you? Were you afraid at six or did, were you just kind of like a six-year-old? Well, I, I don't ever, you know, that, the, the admitting me with, with the, the, uh, the stroke and then the aneurysm, that was when I was 18. But I don't, I wasn't afraid then. I was more curious as to what was happening. Oh. And then when I was six, I don't ever remember being afraid. Good. In fact, when I, when I, I've asked my mom since, like, what was I like as a kid? And she's like, oh, you're really well behaved and you love to play and you're always in your little imagination world and, and you wanted to talk about everything, which was what I did because I had a lot of questions. I bet. Happening. Um, so you're 18 and they bring you next door. Yep. And you find out you have an aneurysm. Was that why you were having issues with your vision? No, they, they said, uh, well, they, they sat me down on the, on the 
bed. So just myself and the, and the neurologist, and he pulls out the CAT scan. Now, I just graduated from high school and I took an EMT class in high school, emergency medical. T- so like I knew a lot about the human body because I was interested because I had a lot of stuff wrong or whatever, let's say wrong. And so he pulls out the, the, the CAT scan and, he, and before he says anything, I go, oh, it looks like I had a stroke in my right occipital lobe. And he goes, yeah, you did. <laughs> That's oh right. God. You did have a stroke in your right occipital lobe. And then he showed me this other aneurysm, which was uh, a fairly big aneurysm, according to him, between lobes, kind of on the right side of my brain. And it was the whole, are they going to operate? Are they not going to operate? So they went four years and just let it sit there. And then I had it operated on when I was 23, essentially elective brain surgery, where it was uh, an open brain surgery, which they wouldn't do these days, but in 93, that's how they did it. So, so you were awake? Is that? Oh, uh, they wouldn't do open in that. Now they would use a catheter. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. But back then, they literally had to cut my head open and pull the skull off and blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> and yeah. when you talk about stuff like this, you act like it's no big deal, and I'm like, oh my god. Well, it's it was interesting because every every especially as an adult, every time I have any kind of a major surgery or even a minor procedure as they call it i really make it an event like i plan for like before my brain surgery i which i scheduled three months you know in advance and you know they said well there's like a i think they said it was like an eight percent chance of something going wrong and if by wrong it would be very bad and i thought okay so about a week and a half before, I spent a week at our cabin. The first weekend was with, I had two best friends. The first weekend was, was with my one best friend. The second weekend was with, with my, other, my other best friend. And then the five days between was just me up at our cabin uh, reading and meditating and just reviewing life. So that by the time the, of my brain surgery, by that day, I was so like jacked on positive feelings that like i'm i'm ready to die like i assumed it would go well i was i've always been in good health because i've always want needed felt i needed to be so i always ate well and was active and whatever but i thought you know i am okay to die today if it, if that should happen i've told everybody everything i needed to say spent this great week with my friends i really come to terms with everything so i was so excited by life and, and this has happened, to, like I say, for every procedure to the current day, and including my two years ago when I had open heart surgery, where I've, it's, so, it's such a, uh, a mindful experience where I'm, I'm seeing, like I call it operating from the heart, where I, I project like heart energy, love energy outward. Because this nurse that I actually walked to the operating room for the brain surgery, which is weird, but... <laughs> This person, I'm, this nurse I'm walking with, what if she's one of the last humans I see? Yeah. And so everything, so like I, I was projecting love and attention under her. And I remember being rolled into the, the operating room. And this is for anything. If I'm able to, to be aware enough to see it, I look around and go, maybe this is the last room that I'm alive in. And not in a, not in a bad way at all. It's like a, it's, I'm almost giddy with excitement. This like, wow like these are the last faces i see in this like and i think i put down like in the little interview with an enthusiastic kind of way yeah like for me i i just love that word enthusiasm because it means the god within it's like you you have this as i call the the higher self or the core self within us and if you're enthusiastic it's like you are giving yourself permission to release that that God-like stuff or quality that's within us and project it outward, whatever we're doing. And it's just, those days are amazing. Like, there's just so much, I don't know, the presence about it. I can't, I don't, I, it, you know, the, 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 tall, the, the word ineffable, I guess, comes to mind where it's past language that I'm aware of. Right. Uh, there isn't 
because of those experiences and, and other things related to that, there's, there isn't a week that goes by where I don't cry because I'm overwhelmed with how great things are. What a completely different attitude than most people have, which is what draws right. people to you because I've met you and I, I don't always meet people that I've interviewed. Right. I've met you. So I remembered that about you. I think positivity attracts positivity and it also attracts negativity because we want yeah. to know what do you have that I don't have. Right. So from 23 with the brain surgery to yeah. you said two years ago, so, so when you were 45 and had open heart surgery, what happened? You went to college. So yeah, I went to college. Well, that was interesting because it was an interesting summer because I had the brain surgery knowing that I'd be going to college in the fall. I was going to go to college for filmmaking. All right. I, I love the idea of telling stories. You know, go figure. I just didn't realize it would be in a different way that I'd be using stories. Um, so I, but that, that summer, I wasn't allowed to drive because they said, well, you had a stroke and whatever, and we're going to just hold off on driving. So I, it was a very secluded summer for me. And, uh, a, a, a kind of depression, I guess, to some degree, in that I really internalized things and I really went even deeper into uh, my mind, into meditation, into trying to understand, like, well, if I had a stroke, you know, and, and all on top of all the heart stuff I already knew about, and I had a stroke sometime before I was even 18, then what is this whole going to school business? Mm. So, it's weird because you wouldn't have looked at me and go, he's depressed because I would have been having fun and positive and laughing. And, and those things were very valid. It wasn't fake, but I also didn't have, I didn't think I'd be around very long. Like, okay, I'll do this filmmaking thing, but I don't see myself living past 30. Like, but okay, it'll be fun. Right. And, and so, yeah, I went to school and eventually I changed, I changed majors from filmmaking, which I continued to do on the side and learn some stuff about filmmaking and then I pursued psychology. Where's where I learned about hypnosis and the unconscious mind. And yeah, I was under the mistaken impression that getting a degree in liberal arts would like tie all the questions I had. <laughs> like oh, wow. I'll a little bit about everything and then I'll it'll somehow tie all together and I'll leave with some like knowing wrong wrong like you don't learn that but um yeah so uh, were there any other surgeries between 23 and 45 or were you doing pretty well let's see uh <laughs> yeah. pull out your spreadsheet it's, it's weird because sometimes i'll forget i was like oh that's right i had a stroke or oh that's <laughs> right i forgot about this. <laughs> um well you know every year i've gone in for for what usually was a routine uh cardiology appointment so i felt great but I, I often, unless something was actually happening, and even then sometimes, I felt great. Even when I was in the, the hospital for that, when I, was, when I just graduated from high school for a, for a week, I felt great. Okay. I mean, there was nothing. This thing maybe happened when I was six. Mm -hmm. So like, they'd be like, so Mr. Fisher, like, are you okay? Like, do you need help getting to the bathroom? I'd be <laughs> like, I could carry you with me and somebody. Like, I was lifting weights. I was like really fit. I'm like, I could carry you. I could walk on my hands there. So yeah, I'm going to be okay. And yet I'm on this ward where I'm 50, 60 years younger than everybody else on the telemetry yep. ward. And, and I remember, oh, it's hitting me emotionally right now when I go back to it. It's like, because I remember that guy, that, that guy meaning me, sitting there as an 18-year-old, uh, just wondering about his future and knowing I was on this ward with, People are so much older. And I, I remember my, my grandparents walking by like, Jonathan, Jonathan. Like they walk past me. I'm like, I'm right here. But one nurse at about three in the morning came in to do the vitals and, you know, check my blood pressure and everything. And I don't even know if he knew how awake I was, but he, this nurse, he said, uh, you're so damn young. Oh, yeah. I'm like, Nobody ever acknowledged that. The obvious was, had never been acknowledged. Like, don't want, 
pity. I don't want, you know, any kind of sympathy, any kind of, I just want the obvious to be acknowledged so that I'm not in some weird, like, am I the only one that's noticing this? Acknowledge it so that I don't feel like I'm crazy and I can then also acknowledge it at some deeper level and then move forward. But I remember that the doctor saying that. And then, you know, I left the hospital with this aneurysm just sitting there and they said, yeah, you have a, a three to 5% chance of it rupturing every year. And if it ruptures, you die or you have significant issues. What was the decision to wait four years? Why? I guess yeah, is a better question. They had, yeah, they had thought, I was, I was put on blood thinners. I was put on Coumadin because of mm-hmm. the stroke. Coumadin has got a ton of side effects. Right. Well, that's a whole, and I'm still on it now, so we can talk about that. Okay. Cause that's yeah. a tough one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so there I was on Coumadin, but they said, well, the, the aneurysm uh, had calcified and they thought maybe that offered some protection. Now, four years later, they're like, what we believe about calcified is that actually makes it more fragile, you know? And the fact that you're on Coumadin, if it did rupture, you're dead. That's it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Yeah. So that's why they said, well, you know, maybe you want to think about having it repaired. And it was obviously it was an elective surgery. And we did, uh, I talked to a couple of different uh, neurosurgeons. So that was an interesting I bet it was. It's so fun to me that you're, you have the health issue. That's one part of the conversation. And then you have the fascination by the health issue was another part of the conversation. And then you have just the humor and the love about it, which is, you're like a three for one. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to go with that one? We don't call it multiple personalities. We call it. Three three things in one. Three for one. Yeah. So. When I met you nine months ago, it had only been like a year and a half since you'd had open heart. I remember sitting next to you at lunch and, you're, and I'm like, tell me about yourself. And we were all sh- like deeply yeah. sharing. Because conferences for a couple of days where you're, we were all very invested. Right. So it's kind of like going to summer camp where you get super close, super fast. And we were yeah. sitting together and you told me about that. And I was like, oh, I, I know that I was trying not to cry. And all I want to do is hug you. You get hugged by women a lot, though. I mean, that's a side effect. That's not bad. It's, hey. The burden we have to bear is sometimes more than I can take. <laughs> and also it was super Do you need fun. a hug? Yes, I think that I do. <laughs> yes. That would help. Maybe, maybe three. Three for one. <laughs> there's a deal. And it was really interesting because I remember also you whispered to me that the woman that was sitting across from you and I, because there were like 10 or 11, there were, it was right, a pretty was a big, big lunch, yeah. about 10, 10 of us. The woman sitting across from us was your ex of like four months who had broken up with you. And I was like, yeah. super. Yeah. yeah, that's not okay. <laughs> so I should hug you. I mean, I'm in a relationship, <laughs> right. but I can play this yeah. game. I can right. be your wingman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you told me about your open heart surgery and I was kind of yeah. like you talked about it like yeah so I was walking through the mall the other day and oh yeah I had open heart surgery and yeah. I saw this backpack and I'm like you had <laughs> wait a minute you had open heart surgery yeah so what what was residual that was occurring in your heart this is a long this is for almost 40 years after you were six right well they you know they they, they knew about the the heart valves since I was an infant. Right. And they always said like, you know, probably you'll have to have them like repaired, replaced. They didn't know at the time. By the time you go to high school, then before college, then before you're 30. And I kept thinking, if I, if I play my cards right and I stay healthy, maybe never. Because every year I went to the cardiologist, it was a, hey, it looks just like last year. Come back in next year. I'm like, all right, great. So going to the cardiologist, and even to this day, going to any hospital, even if it's not for me, uh, is a, it's like a church for me. It's like a sacred space for me. Like people dread it. I love going there because there's, there's a peace that, that I get as soon as I walk in. So I've had so many wonderful experiences leaving there or even just being there. Uh, so many formative uh, presence building experiences where you're, you're, you're there in the moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, uh, well, let me go back to the, so I, so my go back to the, 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 
what happened in my 20s and stuff. So 20s, I felt really good. 30s, health-wise, I go in every year for the checkup. Just before I turned 40, I had some heart rhythm issues. So they called atrial fibrillation, where the heart goes out of rhythm. And it's, it's interesting because it, uh, you could go where I have like boundless energy and then it goes out of rhythm so that I go from a resting heart rate of maybe like 62 to a resting heart rate of 140. Good God. And it makes standing tiring. It makes going up a half a flight of steps tiring wherein two seconds ago when it was in rhythm that clearly that would have been nothing and so it, it went out of rhythm a couple of months before i turned 40 and then uh was out of rhythm for about six months until they got till i had another procedure an eight hour called they call it an ablation where they they go in and they do these little burn things on different nodes of the heart to and then shock it back into rhythm so I've had, I had heart rhythm issues off and on from 40, but still I would go in every year and they would say, oh, but the heart still looks the same, you know, and it's still, when it's in rhythm, it's fine. Although sometimes even when it's out of rhythm and I was on Coumadin, so it would prevent a stroke, mm -hmm. a clot, they would say, oh, well, you know, everything's fine. It's fine that it's out of rhythm because it's controlled. They'd be like, yeah, but I feel awful. It's an awful feeling. Because it's a constant headache, I'm tired all the time, and it's when it's when when at least for me when my heart is out of rhythm, it's like butterflies all the time. It's like you're nervous or excited, but if you're excited all the time, you're in that you don't want to be excited all the time. You don't want to be on all the time, and that's what it feels like. If I lean against something, it feels like I'm shaking. It's a, it's a, just a, well, yeah, it's an awful feeling. And yet my heart was fine. And then I went in, in January of 2015 and I met my cardiologist and he's listening and looking at the test. He goes, your lung function is getting worse. I think you should have uh, open heart surgery either this year or next year. And he may have said things after that, but I went somewhere else because my first thought was I failed. I thought if I could eat the right things, meditate the right way, exercise and have a certain mindset, all these different things that maybe I could prevent ever having this surgery. And I remember Somehow or another, I got to the car, and I, I got in the car, and I was going to be meeting a friend, actually, for a coffee or whatever. And I remember leaving the parking ramp. I, I got out into the bright L.A. sunshine. And I was listening to some classical, some moving classical music. And it was like my unconscious mind took over. Because my conscious mind was like in this, like, like you failed and like, it was rationalized and why everything I did was just a miserable. And it's like my, my unconscious mind, my, my core self, I would say, higher self saved me in that. All of a sudden I started crying, like so much so I thought I got to pull over. I don't know if I can see the road. And it was out of joy. Huh. I'm like, oh, you know, I've been so lucky. And, and, and that's, what, that's the main thing that always flows through me is, at the time it was, I was you know, 45 or whatever, and I thought, oh, 45 years, that's pretty good. It's been great. And I've been really lucky the things I've been able to see. And, and it's usually, it's all the little things that crop. It doesn't like, oh, I went to Italy and I saw that. Like, that's nice. But it's all those little things and the people and the relationships and the, I was so lucky to be born into this family. And it's, 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 for me, it's never been those big things. And I just was just overwhelmed with how lucky I was. I thought, yeah, I have the surgery, don't have the surgery. It works, it doesn't work. Wow, 45 years. No that kidding. Great. It was so, and it was just this joy filled me. And then I arrived at the coffee shop. I'm like, pull yourself together, pull yourself together. You're meeting a friend. And that, that still happens once in a while where I connect to that feeling. 
And that actually goes back to when I was six, when I was in the hospital for the, for the seven weeks. I remember, I remember the, when you're six, seven weeks feels like that's a year. I mean, that was a long time as a, as a six-year-old, uh, seven weeks. I mean, I, I, ugh. and again, I remember every day, but I remember going home and our house seemed like it was in technicolor because compared to the drab of the hospital. And I remember walking up the driveway to the house and just like, I hadn't seen it for so, it seemed like so long that it, yeah, it looked like it was more colorful and everything like shimmered with energy. Cause I didn't think I'd be back there. Um, but you've maintained that sense of childlike, yeah. like you said, enthusiasm and yep. joy through everything. Yeah, that, that specific feeling and different feelings like that have always been there. This, as I put it, yeah, the, the childlike quality, the playful quality, this seeing the world uh, beneath the world, as I call it, like seeing beyond the door, seeing beyond the facade, seeing beyond the, the uh, hypnosis that we're all in, the social hypnosis, the societal mm -hmm. hypnosis. And that nobody ever had to tell me, hey, John, you know what's important in life? Yes, I do. Do you know that it's not about having this or achieving that? Yes, I know. <laughs> At six. Yeah. What, I, what some of us are still struggling with. Yeah, I mean, I remember I would have loved the internet back in the 70s because I remember I had all these questions that my, at some point my parents couldn't answer. They didn't. They didn't go to college and they, they had limited ability to answer these questions that became more and more advanced as I became older. So I had to go to like, you know, B. Dalton bookseller or whatever, like, and find actual books. So I learned meditation. I literally knew no human being that was meditating. And I was looking at meditation books when I was like 11 or 12, reading like Eastern yogi stuff. I knew nothing about this. Nobody that I knew had any interest in this whatsoever. I would sit in my closet and try to meditate and get into these weird states. Like maybe I'll get some answers here. Maybe I'll get some answers there because I, I had experienced things that I couldn't explain and everyone else would sort of brush off as, well, he's got a good imagination. <laughs> like, well, maybe, but maybe there's, yeah, maybe there's more to it. And now yeah. good grief now. So yeah. the heart surgery went well. We're talking today. Yeah. So I had the heart surgery two years ago where, they did, uh, they re replaced two valves and they did five other things actually to the heart. So that when I went back to the room, one of the nurses, this is at a, a big hospital in, <clears throat> in Los Angeles here. One of the nurses goes, you know, that was the most extensive heart surgery we've done at this hospital. <laughs> and I, oh God. And I told her, I'm like, that's so great. They didn't tell me that ahead of time. Like, well, we, we're pretty sure we can do this surgery. <laughs> it's a, you know, we'll try to squeeze everything in. Oh, God. But I'm like, oh, good to know now. But, and then, and she would say, she was like, you know, in light of that, she was, it's so weird because like, like the patients are usually complaining all the time. It's like, you don't complain. Not only do you not complain about anything, you're always in a good mood and you're having fun and you're like really welcoming and whatever. I'm like, well, that's the secret is, yeah. is project this enthusiasm outward. And, and yeah. it's, it's weird because some people say, oh, you mean like a fake it till you make it? I'm like, no, you'll think that, but it's not that because I believe we're drawing from an inexhaustible, you know, if it is the inner God, we're drawing from that inner stuff that, you know, it's the more you give it away, the more you get. So it's like, it's not faking it till you make it. It's not inauthentic to be overly joyous. No, and I know from meeting you that it's your enthusiasm for life is, well, it's always part infectious. If we're happy, people want to be around us right. and they want to yeah. be happy. You know, right. smiling is kind of contagious. Right. Um, but. I would have never in a million years said that you weren't totally authentic. Mm. It is more because I met you in this in enormous group, 80 people or whatever, a hundred people, right. however many people were there. Yep. And, you know, I connected with probably 10. I mean, really mm. made a, made a connection that's lasted anything, maybe five. 
of those, right. you know, continue on. It's not at all fake. There's nothing about your enthusiasm and joy that's fake it till you make it at all. And anyone who spends a second taking a second glance would know that but you it is curious because you think what is this guy taking <laughs> and where can I get some of it <laughs> um, I would think more than that like what is going on in your life that I need to know more about this because I want some of that I think is more what yeah. people would say mm. who use you for coaching right or NLP or anything anybody yeah. who gets to know you because definitely it's one of those and that's how our conversation started right I know I just wanted to know more. Mm. And I think there are people like us that want to know more just organically. That's kind of who you are. But there are people that you're still drawn to. Mm. So I love that about you. I appreciate Thank you. it. Yes, you definitely walk the walk. Thank you. Yeah. So for people to get in touch with you, <laughs> I remember at lunch, like, do you need help to the car after this? When you <laughs> told me about your surgery, I'm like, oh my God, Jonathan, and yeah. you, do you want me to lift your fork? <laughs> <laughs> right. But the great thing is that I knew I could be silly with you and you'd be like, yes. you, know, no, yeah, you could help me with my fork. I do not yeah. need you to do that. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Do all of that. <laughs> Whatever. All of that stuff, make all of those jokes and play, play, play. Which good. is what I love. It was very yeah. obvious that you could play well, and we were sitting with a couple other people, pretty playful people too. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. um, people get in touch with you. Is the easiest thing going to Mythic Heart? Is it dot com? Uh, Mythicheart dot com. Yep. Is that the easiest way to get in touch with you? Yeah, that is probably the easiest. Uh, they they could uh, email me as well at Jonathan at Mythicheart dot com, but you could just go there. Okay. Um, and on the website, there are some hypnosis tracks. And Awesome. So are we all hypnotized right now just by your voice? Well, <laughs> and you're just sitting there listening to my voice. <laughs> you listen to anything different. <laughs> and you'll get the same results. <laughs> yeah. Just sit back, relax, or release. <laughs> Let go. Or, sorry, that's right. Let go. Let go is mine. Let go. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing your incredible story with us today. Thank you for having me on. No. Thank you so much for listening in to Jen Taylor Rerouting. Like, share, and of course, comment. I welcome input with attitude. Get a copy of my book on Amazon, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess, or check out my website, jentaylor.net. And if you still want more, sign up for one of my coaching packages.